In verses 41 to 47, we have been reminded of the continual devotion to Jesus that is evidenced in the first church, that they had a passion for the Word of God, they had a passion for fellowship. We have seen that a church devoted to Christ is passionate about God's Word, passionate about caring community. Now today, we come to another of the church's passions, the breaking of bread. So if you like to eat, you're in luck. Some of you think, oh, it's all about the food, right? I'm kind of like that as well. But I want to give you a hint. It isn't just about the food. It is about worship in all of life. When you see that term, breaking of bread, it's talking about worship in all of life. That's what we're going to see today. It sounds just like eating meals together, Christians at table, which is an awesome thing, by the way. This afternoon, my family is going to gather. We're going to celebrate four birthdays, and I made a whole bunch of food. We're having uh, Italian food, no surprise there, and I made a bunch of Italian sausage. We're having all these appetizers, bacon-wrapped dates, prosciutto-wrapped dates. Some of you can't wait. Some of you that are going to be there can't wait. I see those, uh, those smiles over here in the front, my family. Um, I made a big pot of uh, fruta de mare sauce, all, these, all this really awesome seafood in there. We're going to have squid ink pasta, as well as some others. And gnocchi, if you want to look that up and see what that is, that's really good too. But it's, 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 the food is so awesome, but this is not exactly what this is talking about. Okay, So don't be disappointed. Okay, You can go get a good lunch later with some fellow believers and all that. Because everybody loves to eat. But this is about more than a picnic. This is about more than sharing meals together. What we're going to see today is that a church that is devoted to Christ is devoted and passionate about worship in all of life. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Please stand with me to read God's word. I'm going to read verses 41 to 47, just like we have the last two weeks. We're going to be focusing today on verses 46 and 47. But let's begin at verse 41. This is God's word. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that you have given to us to come today and to gather around your word, 
around singing praises, coming to you and pouring our hearts out to you in prayer and praise. Lord, we pray that as we look at your word now, we acknowledge it, that it is inerrant, infallible, perfect. Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would use your word in our hearts now for whatever you want to do in us. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So we're talking about devotion to Christ. We're talking about a passion for the Word of God and for fellowship and now for the breaking of bread. But it's rooted in a devotion to Christ. And there's always the temptation to abandon simple devotion to Christ. Paul was aware. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We wrestle every day with our sin. Every one of us wrestles with issues, and then there is a blitz of anti-biblical ungodliness that confronts believers in every age, and it will be this way until Jesus returns. And it is a tight rope that we walk on a daily basis, is it not? We fall short. We would declare that only by the grace of God do we stand. Only by his mercy, which is so great towards us. His truth is powerful. His word is power. That's why I love that we come and gather every week around his word. And in the book of Acts, we are being exposed to so much foundational truth, so much life-transforming grace in the book of Acts. It's like powerfully effective medicine for our souls. It's like really good vitamins for our souls. We've seen so far in the book of Acts the early church's birthday on the day of Pentecost, We have seen the Holy Spirit indwelling and empowering believers to serve God's purposes in their generation. And we have seen Peter preaching very powerfully the first sermon in the first church. He explained the scriptures, he exalted Christ, he exposed the people's sin, and then he exhorted them to repent. And that led to 3,000 brand new believers on the day of Pentecost. And then Acts 2.42, where we see the four passions of a church devoted to Christ. And I want to remind you of something. I want you to remember something, that the book of Acts is not prescriptive, it is descriptive. It's describing what God did in and through them. It's not prescribing every exact thing that we're supposed to do. For example, today we are going to celebrate the bread and the cup, the Lord's table. And we didn't read in the Bible that you were supposed to get a wooden table the size we have and some silver containers with little cups of juice. It's like not even enough for a swallow, really, if you think about it. I'd rather have a big, big cup, you know. But, uh, uh, and it didn't tell us in the Bible to get a uh, baskets, wicker baskets with pre-cut bread in it so you wouldn't get germs. And then you need a maroon 
napkin on top. You see, we have freedom in Christ as long as we're not breaking the law or, or disobeying God's word to set it up. Because the issue here is remembering the broken body and shed blood of Jesus on the cross in our place. And remembering that he died, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, and that he's coming again. In fact, Paul says, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. That's the big issue. It's not the form it takes. It is the the meaning of it. I want you to remember this, that Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. And there are things that we will want to emulate as we read this, but we don't have to do it exactly the way they did. So remember that. Now, the first passion we saw several weeks ago was the apostles' teaching that a church devoted to Christ is passionate about the word of God. They stuck to it and didn't deviate from it. As a result, Acts chapter 6, verse 7 tells us the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Acts chapter 12, verse 24 tells us the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts chapter 19, verse 20 tells us the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Prevail mightily. I hope the word of God is prevailing mightily in your life today. If you're a believer, I hope that you are immersed in the word of God, that you've been marinating in the word of God, that you have have acknowledged God's sovereignty and you say his word is binding on my life. I hope the word is prevailing mightily in your life. So the first was the apostles' teaching, passionate about the word of God. The second thing we saw, this was last week, was fellowship. That a church devoted to Christ is passionate about caring community. Community that is caring for one another, that is unified and generous and inclusive and honest. Verse 44 tells us all who believed were together and had all things in common. They did not join a commune. The moment they became believers, they didn't turn in all their stuff and have it collected by the apostles. The idea is seen in verse 45. They sold their belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. As needs arose, they met the need. I see this all the time at Grace Orange. Just this week, there are about four examples. And I saw it on, let's see, Grace Orange bulletin board. I saw it on texts. I think people might have even called each other on the phone. I'm not sure, though. We might have to check up on that. But I know that there were calls out that said, someone is in need. We need to meet this need, whether it's picking someone up from church or moving someone yesterday or bringing meals to people that just had surgeries. The body of Christ at Grace um, cares about caring community, and, and I see it in practice commended you about this before, I'll commend you again. And I think probably the biggest aha moment that you should have when it comes to fellowship 
is that it is about giving, not getting. God will bless you as you experience true fellowship, but it is not about getting, but giving. That if you want to experience true fellowship, you got to be a giver, not a taker. Now, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 4, that the church was literally begging him for the privilege of giving to the need. You look in verse 5 of that chapter, and you see the heart of true fellowship. Paul says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. There's fellowship with God in Christ. And then to us in keeping with the will of God. So in the body of Christ, in the family of God. And it's the idea of giving of yourself, not getting for yourself. And Jesus modeled this. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we could have fellowship with him. Here is Jesus, the ultimate fellowshipper. He gave his life for us so that we might live. So you reflect the gospel as you give to others in the body of Christ. So we've got the apostles' teaching, the word of God. We've got the fellowship, a caring community. And now the third passion, this is what we're going to look at today, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. Now in, in these two verses, 46 and 47, I want to make several observations about their common life of worship together. And we'll point those out, and in the process we'll see that phrase, the breaking of bread, and what that means. So I'm going to point out three aspects of their common life together, three aspects of their whole life of worship. Now remember, it's about worship in daily life. A, a church devoted to Christ is passionate about worship in all of life. Okay? So the first thing I want you to see is a very simple thing, and it's found at the beginning of verse 46 in those, in those words, day by day. What I want you to see is that they kept following Jesus. Very simple thing, but it's, it's sometimes that's the thing that we find the most challenging as believers to, to truly follow Christ on a daily basis. It's, it's easy to worship at church. It's tough when you go out the doors. And, and it sometimes probably feels in your life like, like the windows have been left open while the air conditioning's on, where it just gets sucked out of the window and you're like, I, I knew it, but I didn't practice it. Or uh, I'm, I'm, I'm there when I'm worshiping, but as soon as I go outside, the barrage of life and of maybe my own sin and of the ungodliness around just, just ruins it. And I know that's a struggle for us, but they kept following Jesus every single day. What does that mean? It means they kept doing what Christians do. Word of God, prayer, fellowship, witnessing, all those things, and it blend into all of life. Day by day, it says, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. And then they were, in verse 47, they're praising God and having favor with all the people, and God was adding to their number. So what we see is that the first Christians met regularly in the temple areas and from house to house in public worship and witness. Looks like there's an emergency right now. <laughs> anyway, everything okay? We're all good? Okay. I meant what I said. just want you to know. No. Anyway, the first Christians met regularly in the temple and homes for public worship and witness. 
Now, internally in the church, there was rejoicing, there was generosity. Externally, they enjoyed a good reputation with the people. They gave God all the glory. The numbers grew. There was literally a revival day after day after day. This is what happened in the early church. So they were attending the temple together. Let's look at that. This is public worship. Luke doesn't say where on the temple grounds these 3,000 plus believers met. Not here at least. But in chapter 3, verse 11, we read these words. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So what we know is that they met in Solomon's colonnade or uh, portico or porch, okay? And it ran along the east side of the outer court of the temple. You could Google it and see a picture. But picture a whole bunch of columns and a big colonnade with place that has shade underneath where a big group of people could gather. Chapter 5, verse 12 tells us they were all together in Solomon's portico, this colonnade, this porch, really, that surrounded the temple's court of the Gentiles. In fact, this was the place that Jesus taught about the good shepherd. John 10, 23 tells us they were in the portico of Solomon. So we know they were attending together, but while they were there, they were hearing the apostles teach, teaching the word of God. Then we hear that they're breaking bread in homes. So this shows us that everyone didn't just sell their places and move into a commune. Wealthier members of the church owned private homes in Jerusalem and would, rather than selling them, would open them up for meetings. It's the practice of the church for the first three centuries. In fact, it still goes on today. Right now, the body of Christ is meeting all over the world in different locations, in church buildings, in houses, in parks, in community centers, wherever they could find a place to meet. So they are meeting and they're breaking bread in homes. And it tells us in 40, verse 46 that they did it with glad hearts. That means there was an exuberance about their faith. There was an exaltation going on. They were so joyful because Jesus was priority one that they could not contain the joy. It's like, has anyone ever said to you, I don't know where this joy you have comes from. Tell me, what is it about you that makes you so joyful? I want to know. They had this exuberance, this exaltation, great joy because Jesus was priority one. And then it says they had generous hearts, generous hearts, literally sincere hearts, literally simple hearts. Uh, the Greek word actually means without a stone in it. They didn't have stony hearts. They had soft hearts, tender hearts. They were sincere. They were simple in their devotion to Christ. It poured out into their relationships with one another. And Acts chapter 9, verse 31 tells us, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, and they were being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. These Christians were getting together in homes, in large gatherings as well, and they were devoted to Christ, so they were passionate about worship in all of life, publicly and privately. That's the first thing we see. Now, the second thing we see, also in verse 46, is that they kept remembering Jesus. They were following Christ, and connected to that is that they were remembering Jesus. And this is where we're going to see what the breaking of the bread literally means, what it means. 
Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread. Notice that phrase, breaking bread, in their homes. And then notice this, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. So now it sounds like eating meals together, right? Sounds like eating pasta, squid ink pasta with fruity de mare sauce. And I, I see your smiles. You, you love that like I do. Uh, but this is not just Christians at table. This is, this is yes, everyone loves to eat, but it's more specific. It's, it's more than sharing a meal. The breaking of bread refers to the most significant time that Christians would come around a table. Because the breaking of bread refers to the regular observance of the Lord's Supper. So it's awesome that we're doing the bread and the cup today. So it's more than ordinary meals. It's more than eating food together, which are great things to do. It is the regular observance of the Lord's Supper. And it's because of two things. The first we see in verse 42. Go there first. Verse 42. I just want you to notice that the phrase... The breaking of bread appears between two very loaded terms, fellowship and prayers. Now, if you just took a loaf of bread and broke it, you'd think, wow, I just did a very mundane thing. You know, I'd rather have my bread sliced or something like that. But breaking bread is a very simple act. But getting put into the four passions of the church, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, that raises that activity up to a higher level of importance. And so the breaking of bread here is referring to the Lord's Supper. Verse 46, I want you to see those two phrases, breaking bread and then receiving the food. Okay, They are purposely separated. So breaking bread is the breaking of the bread of the table of the Lord, the Lord's Supper, and they were receiving food. Now you need to understand the way they operated. Now, some of your home groups do this, where every time you get together, you have a meal, and then you get into the Word and all that. Their community was, was centralized around a common meal. That was one of the marks of their fellowship together. They would eat their food together in a common meal. So at the end of the meal, after they take this fellowship meal, in each other's homes, by the way, can you imagine if they tried to take the silver uh, containers and the wicker baskets uh, to the temple colonnade, to the colonnade of Solomon? You know, people are going to chase them out or, hey, you can juice on the, on the uh, marble there. Something like this, right? So, no, they're doing it in their homes. That was supposed to be funny, okay? You don't think that's funny? All right. They didn't do it in the temple there. They did it in the homes. It makes a lot of sense. They're having this meal they broke the bread in accordance with the Lord's ordinance to do this in remembrance of me. Jesus gave them something very tangible, hyper-simple, because of the hyper-importance of it and how it needed to be done on an ongoing basis. So after their fellowship meal, they would remember the Lord's death. And they continually devoted themselves to this day by day. Now you might wonder, does that mean that we should partake of the bread and the cup and do the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, every time we come together? The Bible isn't prescribing this, but what Jesus did is he said, you need to do this in remembrance of me. There's this ongoing remembrance because we tend to forget 
And so he instituted his, his table, the, the Lord's Supper, so that we would not forget. So yes, you should do it on an ongoing basis. I would say one observation is that the, the evangelical church in general trends to doing it not often enough. Okay, we, we celebrate this uh, 12 times a year. Some churches do it quarterly or even twice a year. And so I would say, wow, you know, at, at minimum once a month. But we have freedom in that. But we need to be remembering Jesus. And he did give us these elements to do so. They're not magic elements. This is bread and juice. We're to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, 2 Timothy 2.8, all the time. But especially when we come together, it's important for us to remind each other of our common faith in Christ and our common hope in Christ. The focus of their word-driven, caring community was worship. They praised God in all things and in their common gatherings and when they did what Jesus commanded believers to do. Daily worship in all of life. Okay, now the third thing we see them doing, it's in verse 47, we see them declaring Jesus. Again, these are all interrelated. They're following Christ ongoing on a daily basis. They were remembering Jesus all the time at the, the Lord's table, and they were declaring Jesus. When it says that they were praising God, I'm going to take you to Acts chapter 5, because it's something pretty awesome there about how persistent the apostles were about the word of God and about speaking it to the people. It's interesting, too, that I, you mentioned, I want to mention this, too. It says that they had favor with all the people. They had a good reputation. A lot of Christians say, you know, I want people to know that I'm a normal person who has fun, so I'm going to do what non-believers do. Enter into that relationship with them and show them that Christians can have fun. Well, if you want to reach them for Christ, you need to relate to them, obviously, personally. But if you want to reach them for Christ, you need to do more like what the early church did. And here's what they did. They did what Christians do in front of the unbelievers. In fact, some of the unbelievers didn't want to join them. Maybe because they said, hey, if I get out of line, I might die. They, 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 they heard about Ananias and Sapphira, and they're like, you know, I don't think I'm going to go there. They knew it was a serious commitment. Now, we don't all have the best relationship with unbelievers, okay? That early church had a good relationship with the people that were watching them, and they were watching them do what Christians do. And, and they were hearing them say what Christians should say. The apostles wouldn't stop speaking of what they had seen and heard. They said this, we can't stop speaking of, about Jesus, there's a lot of Christians who've never started speaking about Jesus. But they were praising God, which means they're preaching Jesus, telling the mighty deeds of God, having favor with all the people because they were doing what Christians are supposed to do. So go to Acts 5. Verse 14 tells us that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Now here's what happened then. Some people got jealous of that, the the religious leaders, they did not like this. And so they brought them into a prison and said, stop talking about Jesus. So in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord opens the prison doors and brings them out and gives them an instruction. And here's what God said to them. 
Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Basically, go preach the gospel to them. Go preach Jesus to them. So they did. It says at daybreak they came into the temple and began to teach. Now the high priest got there. Maybe he was coming to work late that day. I'm not sure. But those who were with them called together the council and they sent to the prison to have the prisoners brought. But somebody runs up and says, "Um, the people that were in the prison, they're in the temple right now telling the people about Jesus. So they, they set them before the council. And the high priest, the guy with the big hat, the big funny hat, questions them and says this. We strictly charged you not to teach anyone in this name. But here you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching. You're about to bring his blood upon us. They're, they're, it looks like they're feeling the conviction. They know they're guilty. But Peter, here's what the Peter and the apostles answered. We, you, you've probably heard this before. We must obey God rather than men. And then they go on. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. So here's what they did. They got the apostles together and they beat them up. Gave them a really good lashing. A really good whipping. And then they charged them, commanded them, Here's what they said, don't speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they they left. It says that they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. But that's not all. I love this. I love this. It says that every day in the temple and from house to house, sound familiar? In the temple and from house to house, every day, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That deserves a standing ovation for the apostles and the grace of God that would lead them to do this. Acts 14, we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Acts 16, 5 then tells us the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily because believers were worshiping God In all their life, they were following Christ. It was evident. They were remembering Jesus at the Lord's table, and they were declaring Christ. So let's apply this to our lives. Daily worship in all things, public and private. Now again, exactly how it's going to look is not prescribed, but the description is something we should follow. They kept following Jesus. We need to keep following Jesus. How simple can you get? It's the hardest thing for us to to consistently follow Christ on a daily basis. Like I said, it's easy to follow him in a church service and and to hear the word and to feel good about it and, and resolve to be different. But it's also easy to walk out the doors and forget and live quite differently. So we need to day by day be worshiping together and, and breaking bread and, and continue to do what Christians do together. Do all the things you know Christians are supposed to do because of Jesus and who he remade us to be. The word, prayer, fellowship, witnessing in small groups and large groups. But the problem comes in because we are so individualistic in our mindset. We think it's just me and Jesus. There's a lot of people that... You might think that they want to come to church and and be in a cubicle 
because they don't want anybody bugging their worship time. They've missed the whole point of corporate worship coming together with a group of people that presumably you know some of them. You would see each other a lot, regularly, as often as you can, with significant sharing. Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling together of the believers. But we see things so individualistically, especially worship as a way of life. We heard these great testimonies today about small groups. I'll say this. Your worship will be helped or hindered by the closeness of your associations with other people, other believers. Basically, if you are knowing and growing with other believers in smaller groups, that will make our worship gatherings all the more rich and full as we come to the word and to singing and to the table, transparent and connected. You can't know everybody, but you need to know somebody. In case you need an object lesson. Did I wake some of you up? Did I wake you up? These are carabiners. These are the real kind. You could go on a mountain with these. And I'll ask the question, how is, how is the Christian life and all of worship in fellowship with other believers like carabiners? Well, these things save your life when you're on the mountain. And Christians should link up with each other. They're not to be like just over here, just not attached to anything. There's a lot of people that go, oh, I just want to go to church and hear a good sermon or at least hear the word and then go home and watch football games. Not a bad thing to do, by the way. I don't want to get close to anybody. I got hurt by, I got hurt by a Christian once. Those people in the church, they're so, you know, you know, you link up. In fact, sometimes you link up more than one because if one breaks, the other holds. If you, you know what it's like a carabiner? Because uh, Christians will hold you up and not let you fall. Your, your brothers and sisters in Christ should care enough not to leave you hanging. You hold on to each other. You don't let people fall through the cracks. You help each other. You care for them and share with them, and you make sure you're a part of a local fellowship of believers where you are known and you actively care for one another. So then you know what you'll do? You will initiate real acts of caring with real people who know the real you. Sound like a good plan? We're not leaving until you tell me yes, no. <laughs> wow, that's, it. that's loud. But the individualistic mindset makes its way into our worship services. The corporate gathering is a public meeting. We should be aware of our togetherness when we come in. We shouldn't be saying, hey, don't, don't make any noise. I want to focus up in front. Like I said last week, if, if looking at me is your connection to Grace Church of Orange, you're going to sorely be underserved. You need to look at each other throughout the week. It's best not to make private what God has made public. But we make it about ourselves. One example, and I haven't heard it at Grace Orange, praise God, but I have heard it from other Christians. They say, parents will say this, when I go to church, I need a break from my kids. So I like to put them where they're not with me. I'm like, wow, they've missed the whole point of teaching your kids worship. They've been conditioned to think selfishly about something meant to be a community thing, not a me thing. And that's only one example. 
you know, that person was snoring or that person kept clicking their pen or their person did, they were interrupting my worship. No, your selfishness interrupted your worship. I told them last hour, I said, put your big boy pants on when it comes to worship. Man up, everybody. I think you know what I mean. We have to say no to ourselves. I hope you see that what God intends for his church is for all ages, all kinds of people from everywhere to come together to, to worship him in small and mid-sized and large groups. When Peter was preaching in Acts 2.38. He said this, The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, whoever, any age, color, life stage, geographical location that the Lord calls to himself. Not just adults, by the way. You know, it says that they were all together. You know, at Grace Orange, we don't say, hey, if you're over, if you're, excuse me, if you're over 80 and under 25, you can't be in here. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Yeah. The thing is that the faith is to be passed on from neighbor to neighbor, friends to friends, relatives to relatives, moms and dads to to sons and daughters and brothers and sisters, and, and, and faith is fostered when Christians get close. But not so close that they only look inward. They got to look outward. They got to look to the world. And so we've got to keep remembering Jesus just like they did. They got to keep remembering Jesus to remember the cross. I love 1 Corinthians 11. We do it every time we come to the table. Paul was very intent on letting the people know what he had received from God and he gave to them. In fact, if he says, hey, I received it from the Lord and I delivered it to you, your ears pick, perk up because you're like, I want to know what God said we're supposed to do. Well, here it is, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, because we forget. And, and in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, because we forget. We come to the table thinking it's about us and our life, and it's about all of us and our common life together in Christ, that we are members one of another, that we are part of the body, the bride, the building of God. We're connected in fellowship to Jesus and to one another in the family of God. The only other time Paul said that I, he delivered something that he received from the Lord, it was 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, when he shared the gospel with them. He said, I delivered you as of first importance what I, do, what I received. The Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So we've got to ask ourselves a question. If we're going to remember Jesus, we have to ask, is it about the Savior or, or myself? Self-adoration versus self-absorption. Savior adoration versus self-absorption. Here's the test of true worship. Are you adoring the Savior? Or are you absorbed with your own life? Are you a contributor or a consumer? I'll give you an example of a time when I came to a worship service with a critical mindset of a consumer rather than a Christ-honoring contributor. This summer, I was with a group of Christians at a worship gathering, and there was a worship service. And I rebelled against worshiping in that setting because I didn't like the way they were leading the music. I thought they were too showy, too, too self-oriented in my mind. The, the, the words weren't leading me to, to focus on God's character and on the beauty of the gospel. 
And so I basically just judged what they were doing rather than saying, I'm going to worship God no matter what. I know the gospel truth. I can rehearse the gospel in my own heart as I'm singing these songs. Because I was guilty of a me-first consumeristic mindset rather than being a sold-out, totally abandoned worshiper of God. And God was not glorified in that. But he was glorified in my repentance. He was glorified in me resolving to check my attitude at the door when I come into a corporate worship service. Because the corporate worship service is a microcosm of worship in all of life for believers. You know, sometimes we say, well, the singing is worship. No, the singing is a microcosm of the corporate worship. But this gathering is a microcosm of worshiping God in all of life. Last thing, and then then we'll take the bread and the cup. They kept declaring Jesus. And we need to keep declaring Jesus. Paul said, as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And there is one thing that I know of that generates a declaration of Jesus on an ongoing basis. And it's to follow Jesus and remember him all the time. The Latin word is coram Deo. And it means to live before the face of God. To live in the presence of God. To know that you are living in the presence of God under his authority and his sovereignty for his glory. Acts chapter 9 Saul was confronted by the glory of the risen Christ on the Damascus road, and his immediate question was, who are you, Lord? He did not even know who was speaking to him, but he knew that whoever it was, they had authority, they had sovereign authority over him. You live under God's authority, and you will be contagiously declaring Christ. You'll be like a really good Christian sneeze. Spiritual sneeze, getting good germs all over everybody. See, their corporate praise and worship gave them favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were doing what Christians do. They were continuing to preach the gospel. So as we come to the Lord's table, let's remember this. We need to focus on the word of God. And we need to make sure we don't deviate from it. And we need to be unified and generous and inclusive and honest and embrace the counter-cultural beauty of the gospel community that God creates. Do you know, you know God puts us together? Kind of like when you make salsa. Seriously. He takes all sorts of people from all kinds of different backgrounds and unifies them into a beautiful whole. He takes some bitter people, some sweet people, some salty people, some spicy people, some interesting people, and mixes them all into the body of Christ. And whoever he saves, we accept as our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we come unified to the table. We come unified to the table because, as is often said of the elements of of Christian worship, first you read the word, And then you preach the word, and then you sing the word, and then you see the word in the ordinances. You see it in, put into practice. Last week, we had baptisms, people professing their faith in Christ. We saw that. And now, we're going to see bread getting passed. 
see ourselves eat the bread and we're going to take a cup and pass the cup and we're going to see ourselves drink the cup and we're not doing it alone. We're in a group of people that might not always get along. But our chance of getting along in Christ is so much better than if we were outside of Christ. In fact, there's a lot of people in this room that probably wouldn't be friends outside of the body of Christ. Praise God he has created that beautiful salsa of love. Can't believe I just said that. But it's true. It is so true. And by the way, what we're doing now not for you because the bread will have no meaning for you. Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty concerning the body and blood of Christ. In an unworthy manner doesn't mean if you've sinned this week. Yes, you've all sinned this week. I'm probably the biggest sinner here. It means in accordance to its worth. Being a believer in Jesus, thanking him for the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace that you have in him. He's forgiven you your sins. So remember him and have hope. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. He said, Paul said, examine yourself, then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I believe him. Ask yourself that question. I come to know Jesus. Have I trusted in his finished work. If so, Jesus said, eat of it, all of you. brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, if you're not, you can come to know him now. If you have never yielded your life to Jesus and said, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sins. You were buried. You rose from the dead. You're coming back. Forgive me of my sins. I believe. Believe that what you did was necessary for my life, my, my eternal life. He takes dead people and makes them alive. See, dead people can't bring themselves to God. He draws us to himself. us to be born again. We respond in faith. And so we come to this table. You might have come to this table 150 times. Maybe this is the first time you've done it. Don't let the amount of times you've done it rob it of its meaning.
God's ministry of reminding us. Remember your life. Remember your hope. Remember forgiveness. Remember mercy. Remember grace. said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord God, we partake together with gratefulness in our hearts for your grace. Thank you that as we have done this, we are proclaiming Christ's death until he returns. We pray in his name. Amen. Would you please stand as we close the service together?